much for coming to study. It's a very serious time in which we live, and it's imperative that as we are in these last hours of earth's history, that we truly are preparing for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know that there are many, 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 many realities that are begging for our attention. And I have committed myself to this, to the solution to the problem, the solution. Sometimes it may not appear that what we're talking about actually is the solution to the problem, but I promise you, my friends, as we are studying the word of God, as we are delving deep into the plan of salvation, we will find the solution that God has in store and has in mind for his children. I want to make sure I want to share this. I want to share this on my page. And if you guys have a moment, you can share it on your your pages as well. I want to make sure that as many people as possible can see and hear this topic. Okay, so here we go. So you have your Bibles. I have mine. I have a couple of them. This is our main text. We have been delving deeply into our scriptures. And I want to make sure that as we are delving, that we don't forget our great need. At the end of the day, I'm telling you the solutions that men have for our problems are faulty. They don't know how to solve our problems. They don't know how to come up with the solutions that are necessary. And I was last night I was in fellowship with the most high and in preparation for our television program that we are recording. And I mean, the Holy Spirit just kind of dropped on my mind. And I, I'm going to share this part with you before we get into our study. But before we do that, just let's bow our heads for prayer. Ask God for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. As we are about to open our Bibles, as we're about to study, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. We ask for this not because we are worthy, for we are far from it. But we ask this in the name of Jesus, claiming the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. So I was, you know. As a minister, as a preacher of the gospel, I have a responsibility. And I'm not, my calling did not come via man. In other words, when I was called into the ministry, God called me personally to himself. And I couldn't help but start speaking and teaching. And as I told you last, the last time we studied together, the ability to communicate and speak was a gift God gave me uh, to help in the advancement in the cause of his kingdom. So I don't, I don't want to ever say my own opinions or my own thoughts. I, I don't want to present my own solutions. You know what I mean? Like there's no purpose in that. And many ideas and many solutions or theories are out there in our world. But the reality is there cannot be a solution without following God's plan. So the short I'm going to show the short part and then we're going to jump into our study. So last night as I was in preparation for our television program, the spirit impressed my mind about the woman at the well. And I remember 
processing that story. You know the story already. It's in John. It's in John uh, a chapter. I believe it's chapter four. And she's at the well and in the middle of the day when it's an odd time to be at the well. Right. So she's at the well at the in the middle of the day because she's an outcast, if you will. She has been treated wrongly and she's there for a reason, though. The water is a necessity. Right. You can't live without water. You need water. So she's there with a necessity. She's there to garner water for herself so she can live. Stay with me. So as I was thinking about the story, the Holy Spirit impressed my mind. Andre, this story has a direct connection with our day. So listen to the story. Jesus is at the well. It's a divine appointment. Those of you who are canvassers know what I'm talking about. It's a divine appointment, and God has set this up to meet her particularly. So he's at the well waiting for her. She's getting water, and Jesus says, and I let's just I want to read it to you because I don't want you to miss it because it's so it's such a profound thought. So in John chapter four, he says this, give me to drink. That was verse seven. And then she has this whole conversation that talking about asking me to drink. He says in verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God. And who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink thou wouldest have said unto him and he would have given thee living water so jesus now jesus is a master teacher right he's using something that she is has a necessity for which is water she can't live without the water he says give me drink she has a philosophy a philosophical conversation he says if you knew who i was you would ask me for water <laughs> then he says this, skip down, skip down. I just want to deal with Jesus' words. He says this to her. Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Is the water a necessity? Yes. Do you have to drink a water over and over again? Yes. But if you drink that water, he says, you're going to thirst again. Then he says, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst but the water that i shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life so here it is the holy spirit said andre this text has everything to do with the present now stay with me i said well how lord and it was impressed upon my mind andre they're marching for justice they're protesting for justice we are protesting for justice. Others, of course, are taking advantage in their right. And that's not the point. There are persons marching for a reality. They're per marching for a necessity. What's a necessity? Justice. Water is a necessity. You got to drink it, right? And you got to have justice, right? Right. Then the Lord said to me, Andre, they will constantly march for justice because they're marching and talking about justice in a temporal way, meaning that there's no everlasting life in that. If they were to march for the justice that they would never have to thirst for or ask for again, then the issues that we are marching for would disappear off this planet in a moment of time. 
But the reality is, my friends, I'm curious if we really want justice, for justice is simply righteousness. And the righteousness of God is what is to be established forever. So if we seek that justice, if we protest for that justice, we will never have to protest ever again. But I'm telling you, the protest that is here now, we will have to protest for again. We will have to march for constantly. Because the solution, ultimate solution, am I say don't drink water? Nope, I'm not saying don't drink water. You need that. Am I saying don't ask for justice? Nope, I'm not saying that either. But I'm saying you must ask for the everlasting justice, the justice, justice of the righteous king. And it seems to me, my friends, that at the end of the day, the Christian world has forgotten that Jesus is the king of this world and that his law is the only law that would allow for righteousness and justice to be spread around all nations, all peoples, all kindreds and tongues. You say, Brother Waller, you're, you're making it spiritual. And I say, listen, I'm only talking about the solution. You can talk about all these other things if you want to, and you can, and you should talk about those things. They are a symptom of a greater problem. The king of the universe wants to take his place on his throne. The king of the universe wants to set up everlasting righteousness. And every injustice will be made right by him. The question is, will you come alongside his plan? Because he has a plan. God has a plan. The everlasting king has a plan. When he sits on his throne, he will make all things right. And my friends, I'm telling you this, he is no longer just functioning as high priest. He is about to make a transition from high priest to king of kings and lord of lords. When he makes that transition, his people must be in cooperation. So if you're thirsty, yes, drink some water. If you need justice, no question, you should march. But if you want ultimate justice, if you want ultimate righteousness, you must seek the throne of the Most High. My question is, where are the believers? Where are the believers? All right, that's the end of my thought on that. But my heart is pressed because I, I just imagine myself... Imagine, imagine, brothers and sisters, if if the reality of the Christian world would protest sin like they're protesting a form of sin, which is racism. Racism is a form of sin. It is a it, it is a it's just a different manifestation of it. We name it something else, but the solution to racism is the gospel. Hmm? The same. We're in Daniel. We're in Daniel, and in Daniel, we're going to find God's plan being continually to be unfolded to this man of God. So let's review. Let's go over some things that we talked about before. And let's see here. I want to make sure that everybody is going to be on the same page. Same page. We covered quite a bit of information the last time we were together. And I'm going to share my screen here now. All right. Here we go. Let's go here. So share my screen. 
let's 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 go let's do this now as you can see we're reviewing step number one the first step in our study the first step in our progression through the book of daniel trying to understand the overarching theme understanding how to understand the longest time prophecy the first step is to understand that god has a broader context to his plan and that broader context is that ultimately god is in control if mankind would remember that idea if mankind would focus on that concept then if he is in control, I need to find out what his plan is so I can walk in concert with that plan. All right. He is in control. He sets up kings and he takes them down. We went into great detail with that. Then we looked at step number two. Step number two was we need to understand Daniel's concern. What is Daniel's concern? I simplified his concern. We, we heard his concern in Daniel chapter nine. His concern was sin. Sin was the issue that caused the presence of God to be departed from the temple. Sin was the issue that caused the desolation of the of the sanctuary and the captivity of the chosen people of God. Sin was the major issue. So he's praying. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. We have transgressed. We have done iniquity. All these things, Daniel's concern was made plain because, look, he thought 70 years was their captivity. And that's nearly done. Now he's getting visions about 1,260 years. Now he's getting visions about 2,300 years as well. Concerned. Step, step number three. What was step number three? Step number three was to understand. If we're going to process this time prophecy, we need to understand that there were 70 weeks that was determined upon the people and the city. And we went through and identified who were the people where the people were the Jewish nation, the Hebrews, right? Those were the people. What was the, what was the name of the city? The name of the city was Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem. So the city was Jerusalem. The people were the Jewish nation. And 70 weeks was determined, or that word determined was kata. I'm not probably not saying it right, but kata, that word means to be cut off, cut off from something else. What was that 490 weeks or 70 weeks cut off from? That four, that 70 weeks was cut off from the larger 2,300 days or 2,300 years. And we did a little mathematics. You guys remember we did a little math. That math was 70 times 7 was 490 days because there are seven days in a week, 70 weeks, 70 times 7, 490 days on the money. And then we saw a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. Ezekiel 4, 6, Numbers 14 and verse 34 clearly showed us that the day equals a year. So we saw there was 490 years determined as probationary time for the Jewish nation. Hope you're following me. 490 years designed as probation for the Jewish nation. Now, I want to show you something else. See if I can pull it up here. Remember there were six things? There were six things that 
were a concern for Daniel. Let's read them. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And we're looking at verse number 24. So in their probationary time, their 490 years, they had an opportunity in that time frame to do six things, which were really only three. And those six things were, and let's read them. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Those were the six things, yea, seven, that they had to accomplish if they were to bring in and usher in and accept the Messiah when he showed himself, okay? Those were the things that they, he was, they were supposed to accomplish. But my friends, they did not accomplish them. They did not stop sinning. They did not bring in everlasting righteousness. They did not seal up the vision and prophecy. They did not anoint the most. They didn't do any of those things. But Jesus, praise God, fulfilled every single aspect of this prophecy. Jesus himself fulfilled every single component of this prophecy. Now, why is that so important? Because in Christ, we are new creatures. Amen. So when Jesus died on the cross, all of us died in him. When Jesus lived righteously, when we accept Jesus Christ, we accept his life. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So any righteousness that comes forth from me, any goodness, any goodwill, any love, and that love being for my brothers of different colors and races and ethnicities and cultures, that love comes from Jesus. You say, somebody says, well, Andre, I don't know Jesus and I still love people. No, that love comes from Jesus. Whether you know it or not, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the father of lights of whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So all love, all righteousness, all goodness, all the good that is in the world comes from the one God that is in heaven. I say that because when Jesus lives his righteous life, that righteous life is permitted and given to you and me. So his victories are my victories. His authority becomes my authority, not because I earned it, but because he seeks to share it. I hope that makes sense to you. Jesus is in the business of sharing. In fact, let me read. Hold your hand here in Daniel. Let me show you this because I sometimes I don't think we really let these ideas sit in our minds. And this is a word to the Laodicean church. And Laodicean means a people judge. That's all the word means. Laodicea, Laodicea means a people judge, and it is a lukewarm experience that they are having, but God gives them instruction, and there is a reward to those who overcome this condition. Watch what the Bible says. It says, and I want to read to you the reward. I don't want to get into the detail. It says, behold, verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, 
Watch this. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Did you get it? To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Tell me, what is the gift of the overcomer? Those who overcome this lukewarm condition, you're not on fire for God, but you're not cold against God. God says, if you overcome, if you accept my victory in your life, you will sit with me in my throne. Tell me, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a great thing. I can't wait. <laughs> you understand? He's willing to share his authority with me. I'm not worthy of that. But he is good and he's willing to share. And if the king of the universe is willing to share, I'm willing to take what he's willing to give me. What do you say about that? I think it's a beautiful thing. And so when we go back to Daniel, go back to Daniel. These six things, yea, the three. These six things that are made mention here. In fact, let me, I want to share my, go back. I want to share with you because we, we did this before. And I want to just make sure that you remember what we saw. Let me go back here just a little bit. Here it is. Let me share that. Boom. All right. So here it is. Screen number two. All right. So you guys remember this? This was uh, a little bit of a chart that we did. We have the six things. Finish the transgression. Make an end of sin. Make reconciliation for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal up the vision and prophecy. Anoint the most holy. So these were the six things. And I simplified them. I summarized them. I broke them all the way down. And I said the first, the first two summarized simply says sin. Stop sinning. Stop sin. Stop bringing sin into your existence. Stop violating the covenant relationship. So we use the word sin. Really, it's a violation of a relationship. Very simple. Let's not make it complicated. It's like if my wife and I had an argument and I decided that I was going to cheat. If I decided to cheat, that would be a violation of a relationship. It's not just the way we use the word sin is more like a rule. No, these rules are about relationships. So if I cheat, it breaks the relationship. Do you, do you follow the idea? Can't, you can't just break the relationship and think everything is cool. You have, there's, a, there's a rebuilding that must take place. So when he's dealing with the children of Israel, he says, stop the sinning. Stop breaking the relationship. And not just stop, because anything can stop, like a chair can stop, right? <laughs> You can have inanimate objects that don't sin, but it's more than just stopping doing badness. What is required is righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, that belongs to God, according to Daniel. Righteousness belongs to thee, O God. Righteousness is right doing, is that which is good. It is that which is lovely. And that's why it's always interesting to me, as we are looking for justice in the world. The word justice simply means judgment and righteousness. As we're looking for that justice, we must understand that that comes from someone else. It comes from above. 
And as we remember and keep that in, in mind, then we understand that the solution is beyond simply me posting something or me marching down the street. It requires a community of people, black, white, Latino, his, uh, 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 Korean, or whatever. It requires a community of people to come together on their knees, talking to the Most High, coming together in Christ Jesus. That's the only way that we're going to solve these problems. So stop sinning, do righteousness, and then what does it say? Righteousness. Then lastly, it says judgment. Now, why judgment? Judgment is justice. That's the idea. Judgment is justice. What? Why judgment? Because now the king of the universe takes his rightful position. In fact, let me let me show you something else. Go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter thirty-two. Watch this. Isaiah chapter 32, one of my favorite Bible study passages. Very powerful, powerful passage. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I'm going to read verse verses one and a few verses thereafter. So Isaiah chapter 32, watch this. The Bible says, behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. A king shall reign in righteousness. Talking about the God of the universe. And princes shall rule in judgment, righteous judgment. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind. And a covert from the tempest. So what man is this? This is this is the man Jesus. Isaiah 32 is prophesying about a man named Jesus who is going to be a hiding place, a protection for people. Watch, watch what it says. A covert from, from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. So Jesus is that comfort for his people. That's what the Bible is speaking about. Then verse 3 says, And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. Hmm. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge. Well, this is when the king of righteousness is sitting on the throne. These are the effects of righteous judgment. Watch. And the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. The vile person shall no more be called liberal. Hmm nor the churl shall be said to be bountiful. In other words, that which is evil is going to be called out. That which is un... Because even in all of that we see transpiring now, there are persons that are not really about what everybody else is truly about. They are taking advantage. Even those who say, oh, we are so much behind your, your movement. We, we No, they're lying. Many are not telling the truth, and many are. But you, you, it's hard to tell in this time. But in the judgment, when Christ sits, when he sits on the throne, that which is unjust, he will call it out. That which is just, he'll make it right. Those who have not been treated right here on planet Earth, he will make right and bring restitution. We want reparations. Huh. The reparations that we are ultimately going to receive, my friends, will be at the hands and at the feet of Jesus. And those reparations are eternal in nature. You say, Andre, what about now? I say, yeah, talk, talk about it now. No problem. Don't, but make the main thing the main thing. The solution, keep the solution the solution. Then it goes on to say, watch this. The vile person shall speak vainly, villainy, and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord to make empty the soul of the hungry. And he shall cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. 
The instruments also of the churl are evil. He deviseth the wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying lips. Even when the needy speaketh right, but the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall they stand. Rise up, ye women that are in that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Why? Why would I? Why do I need to give ear unto your speech? Isaiah. Many days and years shall you be troubled. Your careless women, for their vintage shall fail. What's the vintage? It's talking about the grapevine. They're going to fail. The gathering shall not come. Why will the gathering not come? Why will the vintage fail? Why will that which we seek for not be? Why? Tremble, ye which women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare. Gird, gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the teats. For the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the house of joy in the joyous city. Wait, why would there be sadness in the joyous city? Because the palaces shall be forsaken. The multitude of the city shall be left. The forts and towers shall be for dens forever. A joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks. Well, how long is it supposed to be? How long will this destitution last? How long will sorrow be in the world? Here's my favorite word. Watch my favorite word. Until. <laughs> I love I love that word in the Bible. Until. Until what? Until the spirit be poured upon us from on high. Mm. And the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in a sure dwelling and in quiet resting places the solution then it says until until what until the holy spirit is poured out upon his people not until so the question is do you have the holy ghost my friends, my friends, I have friends that are marching even now. Praise the Lord. I pray even for them now that the Holy Ghost be upon them, that the solution to the problem be revealed as they speak of the one solution. And I pray that we become the hands and feet that God designed us to be. But until then, this will continue. Sin will continue, whether you want to call it racism or whether you want to call it hatred or whether you want to call it molestation or whether you want to call it uh, lying and cheating and committed adultery and bearing false, whatever you want to name it today, whatever you want to be selective in your protest, that will continue until we deal with the issue. What's the issue, Daniel? Daniel already told us the solution to the problem. He said sin is the problem. We need to get rid of sin. It's interesting. You can't make somebody love you can't no matter what you do can't do it 
but you can love them up. <laughs> you can love them up. That's what Jesus did for us. Is that right, my friends? When we didn't love him, he loved us. When we didn't love him, he loved us. So those are the six things that they had to do. Now, what I want to do right now, I want to make sure that we lay an anchor. So we've, we've gone through, we've gone through, let me see here. We've gone through steps one, two, and three. We've gone through that. And what we need to do now is go to step four. We're going to go to step four, step five, and step six. Now, if you have any questions about steps one, two, or three, please Shoot me up in the in the chat in the text, and I will see if I can answer that question near the end or maybe even now. But if you have a question about step one or step two or step three, let me know. Right now, we're going to deal with step number four, and step number four is going to require you to be thinking. Okay, we need to think. I'm I'm all about understanding what we are doing, where we are at. And I'm going to need to use my whiteboard for this a little bit. So let me share share my screen. So we are on step number four. And step number four is very, very, very simple. And it's this. Understand that the command, understand what the command is. And you'll understand what that question, that statement in a minute. And when the command is given to restore and build. Okay. Understand what the command is. And understand when the command is given to restore and rebuild. All right. Here we go. Now, go back to Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel 9. Daniel 9 in verse 24. Notice. Daniel 9 in verse 24. Notice what the Bible says again. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy verse 25 watch carefully know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall in troublous times. Now, okay, now let's let's do this. Someone bring this down a little bit. So now what I need you to do. Put your thinking caps on. So we've already examined the overarching time frame, 70 weeks. Everybody follow that. 
We've already identified the people, which was the Jewish nation. We've identified the city, which was Jerusalem. We identified within that 70 week time frame, they were on probation to accomplish six things. Were they able to do it? The answer is no. Who did it? Jesus did it. Now, verse 25, know therefore and understand. So the angel is telling us to understand that from the going forth of the commandment, okay, from that point, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build. So what I'm looking for now is a commandment that comes from somewhere that instructs God's people to restore and build. It must be both, not just one. So what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is what I want to do right now is I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to tell you some facts. And as good students, those of you who are on this Zoom call, as good Bereans, you're going to go back and check whether or not what I'm saying is true. I may be accurate. I may be inaccurate. But it's your responsibility to check me out. Is that fair? All right. So here's what I'm going to say, and then you must check me out. So there was a commandment by King Cyrus that gave the children of Israel permission to return to their homeland and to build their place back up. That happened around the year 536 BC, okay? So keep that in mind. Around 536 BC, there is a command given, hey, go home, right? In fact, go, go with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. And I want to read to you chapter 44 and verse 28. Isaiah chapter 44, and we're looking at verse 28. Notice what the Bible says. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple Thy foundation shall be laid. Make sense? All right. So there's a command. There's a command. And that command is go and build. Who gives the command? Cyrus does. The year is around 536. So folks go. Folks pack up and they go and they they go to build the place, and there's some issues, and they stop building. Another command comes forth. This command comes forth, and this time, let me see if I, I want to see if I can find it very quickly. Ezra, I want to go to Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra. So I want to go to Ezra. So this time, a command goes forth, and they start building again. This is the second command that goes forth. 
and they start building the second time. And as they're building the second time, my friends, they have trouble. And they stop building a second time. Okay? They stop building a second time. Now, when they stop building a second time, again, it's undone. And this is where this, we find the... the uh, it's funny, like when you're, when you're on the... Uh, here it is. Let's go to Ezra chapter 4 very quickly. Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4. My page is sticking together. Ezra chapter 4. And I want to start reading... I want to start reading that's a Zerubbabel. There's a letter written. You'll see it's you'll see there in verse number. Start at verse number 16, just for a little bit of context. Verse 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 19. Ezra 4, verse 19. It says, And I commanded, and search hath been made, and it is found that the city of old time have made insurrection against kings and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which had ruled over countries beyond the river and toll and tribute and custom were made were paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease. So there's, you know, there's this uprising. Look, we don't want them to build. They've been causing issues and troubles in the land. Cause these people to cease and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. All right. So that command comes forth and they have to stop building. Until you get to Ezra chapter six. Now, Ezra chapter six is interesting. Because Ezra chapter six, first there was Cyrus who gave the command that they could build. Then there was a command from Darius that they can build and they, that shut that down. But then there's a command that comes from Artaxerxes. Now, in order to understand this, let me just back up for a moment. You remember the story of Esther? You remember how they were going to try to kill all the Jewish people and they could not change the law? Remember Daniel's throwing in the lion's den and the king wanted to change the law to save Daniel, but he couldn't because it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. So he couldn't change the law. Right. So the laws of the Medes and the Persians does not change. So we're in a time of the Medes and Persians here. And so when you read this, understanding that, you'll see something. And you remember also when Esther and Haman, you know, they're having their little thing going on. The king couldn't change the law. So what did he do? He made an addition to. So instead of nullifying the law, he just added to the law, saying that the Jews could protect themselves if the soldiers came to fight. Right. So watch Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. The Bible says, pay attention, everybody. And the elders of the Jews build it. And they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edu. And they build it and finished it according to the, what's it say? Commandment. Does it say commandments? Or commandment. Well, commandment is singular, right? 
according to the commandment of the God of Israel, and according to the commandment, does it say commandments or commandment? Singular. The commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, remember the angel said, when the command goes forth to restore and rebuild. The command from Cyrus was just go to rebuild. The command from Darius was just to go to rebuild. But the command from, from Artaxerxes was Ezra chapter 7. Watch. In Ezra chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 12. And th this is one of those other passages that literally this is the king's writing. Like the king actually writes, this is the actual decree from the king. Daniel 7, verse 12, the Bible says, Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of God, of heaven, perfect peace, and at such a time. I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel and of this priest and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will, to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. For as much as thou art sent of the king and of his seven counselors and to inquire of Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of thy God, which is in thy hand, and to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem, and all the silver and the gold that thou canst find in all the province of Babylon with the free will offering of the people and the priests and offering, willing for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem. So he's given a permission, go back, restore. You can start your church services and all that. But wait, there's more. After he talks about the church services, he says in verse 21, and I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king, do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river, that whatsoever Ezra the priest and the scribe of the law of the God of heaven shall require of you, it be done how? Speedily. Unto a hundred talents of silver, and to a hundred measures of wheat, and to a hundred baths of wine, and to a hundred baths of oil, and sought without prescribing how much. Now, again, here it is. A pagan king is giving not just permission for them to go and build. He's actually financing them. He's paying for them. Wait. Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Interesting. Also, we certify that thou touching any of the priests and Levites, singers, porters, nithinims, or ministers of the house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toll, tribute, or custom upon them. So they were tax exempt. Interesting, brothers and sisters. They were tax exempt. And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God, that is in thy hand, set magistrates. Set what? Magistrates. And what? Judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. So, not only does the king tell them they can go and build, but the king now restores their ability 
to govern themselves. He gives them the right to have their own magistrates, to have their own rulers, to have their own judges. He gives them this ability, which is then a fulfillment, a complete fulfillment of the angel Gabriel, who says, from the commandment to restore and rebuild. So they were given the permission to rebuild in 536, permission to rebuild again. And like, I think it's like 519 or 517. And now ultimately this third, third time of them saying it is the part where they add on. Now they have legislative rights and responsibilities that happens in the year 457. Now, what you want to do, you want to mark down that I just gave you the passage and you're, you're, you're good students right now. I gave you the passage from Ezra chapter 7, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. This passage tells you the restoration and the, and the building, right? Ezra 6.14 tells you that all three of these kings were given really one commandment. That's Ezra 6.14. Okay, you have that locked in. Now, the time of the commandment is interesting. Look at verse number seven. How would I know when the time of the commandment took place? And this is going to require you to go do a little homework. I'm not going to give this to you per se. I'm going to show you the text, and then you need to go back and do some homework. Okay, here it is. In Ezra chapter seven and verse seven. Ezra chapter seven and verse seven. The Bible says, and there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nithinim unto Jerusalem. When did they do this? In the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king. So if I want to know what year they went up to Jerusalem and I want to know what year they went up when this decree was given then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look up what year did Artaxerxes come to the throne. And then I will count seven years from that time. And then that will tell me what year this decree was given. Does that make sense? All right. So what we found is the decree is given in the seventh year of the king Artaxerxes. In that seventh year, he gives them the ability to restore and to rebuild, restore what? Restore their economy, restore their legislative ability, and to rebuild their city and their sanctuary. Does that make sense? If that makes sense, just type in yes. I just want to make sure that you are following. If that makes sense, just type in yes. So I want to make sure that you are following. If it doesn't make sense, just say, Brother Waller, again, and I'll just do it all over again. <laughs> all right. But if it makes sense, just type in yes, and we will keep it moving. Very good. Very good. I got a yes. I got a yes. Very good. All right. So my, my whole thing, whenever I'm building my understanding, I want to take it line by line. I don't want to rush anywhere. If I don't understand something, I might pass over it and come back to it another time, but I want to understand it line by line. The reason why this is so important, go back now, go back now to 2 
the book of Daniel, Daniel 9. Go back to Daniel 9 and watch carefully what we're doing in the text, okay? So in Daniel 9, what do we find? Verse 25. Again, we read, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. So from that point, now I'm just telling you that it's the year 457 BC, but you don't have to believe me, but you should do the homework. So go back and look it up. Go look up when did Artaxerxes come to, to the throne seven years from that time, and you should, there should actually be a problem. So I'm looking for you to look it up, and you're going to come back with, but Brother Waller, and I'm looking for that. That way I'll know that you actually did the homework because there should be a problem that you find, and I'm looking for you to, to find that problem. But in the meantime, 457 is the year that I have come to the conclusion in regards to the seventh year of Artaxerxes' reign. So in 457, in the autumn of that year, this commandment goes forth to restore and rebuild. The angel says from that commandment to restore and rebuild, the Messiah will present himself. It says unto the Messiah, the prince shall be. Now, I'm gonna, let me use my screen now. I want to use my screen. I want to share. I want to share my screen with you. Let's see if this does this. I have to I have to do this. Uh, let me do this real fast here. I'll make my other screen the host. Now let me share my screen. Let's do this. All right. So what I want you to see right now is that we started out by saying that probation, probation. For oh, it's really bad. Let me angle this so I don't have to look as horrible as my handwriting is presenting itself. Let's do this again. All right. So here we go. Probation is for four seventy weeks, right? And this is for the Jewish nation. And we said that the 70 weeks did a little bit of math. There are seven days in a week. 70 times seven is 490 days. Everybody follow that? So the entirety, this is talking about the entirety of the vision is for 490 days. A day in Bible prophecy equals a year. So this is 490 years. And again, I repeat myself because I have no idea where this video ends up, right? So there are people who are going to watch this in the middle of the, of the, of the video. Like they're going to be scrolling through. It's going to be the middle, right? And the other people are going to find this 10 years later. And I'm, it's going to be the necessity for me to repeat things. So a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. Numbers 1434, Ezekiel 4.6. A day equals a year. So there's 490 Days is actually 490 years, probationary time. 70 weeks is actually 490 years, probationary time. We said 
that this 490 years was cut off from something else. We made connections between Daniel 8 and Daniel 9. And in Daniel 8, the 2300-day prophecy has no beginning. It has no end. It just says 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, or then shall the sanctuary be restored. It has no beginning and no end. But Daniel 9 is a continuation of Daniel 8, and we've made clear connecting points with that, so I don't want to review that. Go back and listen to the other podcast. That's, that's literally Daniel 8 and 9 Connections. That's what it's called under the Gospelpreneur podcast. And so we made that connection. So what we're doing right now is this 490 years is actually cut off from the 2300 days. Okay? And this is their probation. And from the commandment to restore and rebuild. So I said that 457 BC was when the commandment went forth to restore and build. That was 457. So 457 becomes my starting time for both the 2300-day prophecy and the 490-day prophecy. Are you following? Okay. So 457 becomes my starting date. So now what the angel does. What does the angel do? And I, the reason why I did this is because I wanted to, to show you what the angel does. The angel literally takes the 490-day prophecy and breaks it into three parts. Watch what he does. Pay close attention. So that 490-day prophecy, he breaks it into three parts. What are the three parts? Watch what it says in verse 25. Know therefore, Daniel 9, 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, which would be the city, right? Unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be. Shall be what? Seven weeks. You guys got that? Shall be seven weeks. And three score and two weeks. Now, again, you can look up the word score, not like score in the Bible means 20. Okay. Score in the Bible means 20. So when it says three score, three score is three times 20. Three times 20. So what's three times 20? That's 60, right? So shall be seven weeks and three score in two weeks. What's three score in two weeks? Well, three score in two weeks is 62 weeks. So watch, watch what we're doing. I, I think I wrote too high, but let's watch what we're doing. I'm gonna erase, I'm gonna erase this. I'll rewrite it in a minute. Watch this. So seven weeks. Three score in two weeks. So that's 62 weeks. All right. Shall be seven weeks, three score in two weeks. Everybody following? So let's read it, read it again. Verse 25. Now know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. 
That's what we got right there. Three score in two weeks. That's what we have right there. Then it says these words. The street shall be built again and the wall in troublous times. Well, that's interesting. I'm going to put this right here and try to explain it later. So this section right here where it says seven weeks, streets built again. Walls in troublous times. So what I want you to do with that, right? When it starts about streets be built again and walls in troublous times, what I want you to do with that, I want you to start reading the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem in 444, and things are still not completely done. And my man goes in, he starts to rebuild and get things done and go back and read Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and you'll see this fulfillment happening in this time frame. So in this seven week time frame, now seven weeks, if we're doing the mathematics, you guys are great Bible students. If you're doing the mathematics, how many days are in a week? How many days are in a week? Seven weeks, seven days in a week. So what does that make this? 49 days, right? 49 days, but seven times seven is 49. So if there are 49 days, a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. So what are we talking about? 49 years. This is what this seven weeks equals. Seven weeks equals 49 years. That's interesting, okay? That's interesting. Then it says 62 weeks. What is 62 times 7? 62 times 7. I'll give you a little bit of time before I just give you the answer because I've, I've been doing this for so long. It's like it pops off my head, right? But 62 times 7 is 434. Am I right? You guys are doing the math? Do the calculations because you can't trust me. 62 times 7 is 434. Yep, very good. All right, very good. So 434 days because we're doing 7 times 7 times 62. So we have 434 days. A day in prophecy equals a year. So what do we have? We actually have. 434 years. That's the answer. So 434 years is equivalent to the 62 weeks. So what are, what is developing? If I just said seven weeks plus 62 weeks, how many total weeks would that be? It would be 69 weeks, right? Between the two of them. Total was 69 weeks. If I go 434 plus... Plus 49, what's my answer? Y'all didn't know it was going to be math class today, right? <laughs> okay. What's, 430 plus, what's 434 plus 49? Put it in the chat. What's 4? That's right. We got 483. Very good. Now, watch. So the 69 weeks... And the 483 
years are the same thing. So Gabriel, the one interpreting the prophecy, has broken the prophecy so far into two parts. So far. But he's going to break it into three. Okay? 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Context dictates interpretation. Because we have some folks that teach. Anyway, before I even get there, I don't want to get to what's not true. I want to get to what is true. What is true. Okay. So we have the starting date. The command to restore and rebuild, 457. The reason why we're saying restore and rebuild, because King Artaxerxes gives them financial system and gives them legislative rights and abilities to make their own laws, right? Previous kings have said, go back and build. This one said, build, have everything back the way you used to have it. Then we have the angels divided it into parts. Okay, we're back into verse 25. Let's go back. Pay attention. Verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build. Now, isn't it so beautiful that when you read the text, you can understand it now? It's like you're not just reading it. It's not, it's not just gibberish. It's like, yeah, I understand what that means. That, that makes sense. Unto the Messiah the Prince shall be Seven weeks and three score and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall in troublous times. Again, go back and read Nehemiah to get a bit, bit more context in that regard. And then it says, and after, and after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. So before I even get there, let me go back to another phrase in verse 25. You see where it says, in verse 25, unto the Messiah, the prince, I'm going to write here, unto Messiah, the prince. Ooh, horrible. I'm going to have to make this, my letter smaller. All right. I'm going to have to have somebody else draw. I'm going to have to get my wife to do this instead of me writing because my handwriting is causing trouble. <laughs> All right. I'm going to do this again. Unto Messiah, the prince. All right. So let's just do a little bit of, before I go further to verse 25, let's not go to, I mean, verse 26. Before I get to 26, let's just do a little bit of math. I need you to do 457 minus 49. 457 minus 49 because BC they count backwards. Okay, they count backwards. So, what year do we come up with 457 minus 49? What do we come? What year do we come up with? What year do we just type it in the chat? Type it in the in the Facebook. What what year do we come up with? 408. Very good. Very good. I'm getting 408. 408. So 408 is the right answer. So this point is 408 BC. Okay. Now for a little bit of trickery, I need you to minus the uh, 434 from 408 
A little bit of trickery here. What what do you get when you just do the math? What number comes up? What number comes up? Negative 26. That's right. Negative 26. Now, the thing with this, uh, let's see how I can do this because I don't want to. I can only do so much on this one screen. So I'm going to I'm going to do something real quickly so you guys can just again, we're we're working and understanding. So the year 26 comes up. So let me do something with integers. You guys know about integers. So let's go negative three, negative two, negative one, zero. One, two, three. You guys see that? So let's just say this is 3 BC, 2 BC, 1 BC. Tell me, was there a 0 BC? Was there a 0 BC? The answer is no. There's no such thing as 0 BC. So in math, math has this 0 here. When you're doing math, it has that zero there. So you're going to have a negative 26 that that happens. But because there's no zero. Instead of this being zero B.C., it would be one A.D., two A.D., three A.D. You follow? So what would normally be a. Two would actually be a three because there's no year zero when we're counting the years. So instead of it being 26 AD, it actually ends up being 27 AD. Now, it took me a time to kind of process that in my mind. So you don't have to understand it right now, per se. But I, I'm hoping that that begins to clear some things up. Because when you do the math, it's a negative 26 that's what the Millerites did, right? When the Millerites were doing the math, they actually had a negative 26 or a 26 AD, and then they had a 1843. They had ended on the wrong time because the year zero, there is no such thing as a year zero. So a little bit of mathematics for today. It's funny because I homeschool with my daughter, and I am the math teacher for her too. So hopefully I, I get better at teaching math because she's going to have problems if I don't. All right. So this year here, is going to be 27 A.D. Now, the question is, it says unto the Messiah, the Prince. That means this is when the Messiah, the Prince, will show himself. So the streets and walls are built in troublous times between 457 and 408. And then from that time going forward, we're looking for the manifestation of the Messiah. And in the year 27 A.D., the Messiah shows up. And that's why I say this is the most pivotal prophecy, brothers and sisters, because at the end of the day, if the Messiah never showed himself, if the Messiah never came, people, we would be lost, brothers and sisters. If we don't understand what he was doing, how he was doing it, we would, we, we're, we're just, we're running around here with a name, but not really understanding what he's doing. You see, Brother Waller, why do we need to know all these numbers? Because it pinpoints exactly when our Messiah came on the scene. When our Messiah showed up. Anybody know what Messiah means? Messiah, the word Messiah, 
I'm going to write it here. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. What does the Messiah mean? Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. They both mean anointed. I am the anoint. He's the anointed one. The Messiah, he's the anointed one. The Messiah, the anointed one's coming. He's coming to deliver, not simply from the bondage of Rome, not simply from injustice of social injustice of this world, but he's coming to deliver his people from the bondage of sin. That's what he's coming for. Okay, so Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Now, just for a little bit more of a little bit more information, facts. I want to take you, and my mind, I'm trying to remember the text. I believe I want to go to Matthew. I want to go to Matthew. I believe I want to go to Matthew chapter 3. Yes. I think so. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is about to be baptized. Matthew chapter 3, and those days. Look at verse number, I say 14, verse 13. Verse 13, John is prophesying about the Messiah to come, and John says, Then come of Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John, this is verse 13, to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill, what's it say? All righteousness. So I love Jesus. Listen, every move that Jesus made was part of a plan. And not everybody would understand his plan. But man, then he suffered him, verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see that? Jesus is anointed as he comes out of the water. Go with me to Luke. Luke tells the same story. Luke tells the same story, and I want to go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Watch this. Luke chapter 3. Oh, man, time is gone already. I am, brothers and sisters, I'm going to have to stop. Uh, Luke chapter 3. And I want to read verse 1, because verse 1 is interesting. 
Verse 1 says this. Now in the 15th year of the reign of, who's it say? Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and of the region of Trachonitis and Lincenius, <laughs> the tetrarch of Albilene. Now, why am I reading that to you? Notice the first part, now in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. So what you should do, go back a little bit more homework. What was the first year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar? Be thorough. What was the first year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar? There's a hint here. He co-ruled for a little while. And in that 15th year is where we read in verse number 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. So this took place in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. That's why you go back, look it up. What was the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar? And you will have an interesting correlation between the 490-day prophecy and the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar pinpoints the beginning of the open ministry, the public ministry of Christ in AD 27. Very interesting. I found it interesting. I like I like to verify my religion. You know what I mean? Like I like to verify if it's true or not true. I like to look at the facts of things and say, okay, especially when it comes to saying somebody's the Messiah. Can you imagine somebody showing up today and saying, I am the Messiah? I am the one that you're supposed to follow. Look, I'm not following nobody that says that. That's not something I want to do. I want to make sure the word of God is my guide to make sure that I'm walking in the light while there is still light. That makes sense? So step number four, understand the command to restore and to build. Let me see if I want to do something else here. Let me come out of this. Let me come out of this. Okay, here we go. Stop sharing. Okay. I want to come out of that, and I want to do this. What we did inadvertently, we did step four, and we also are doing step five right now. Uh-oh. Got to let me be the host again. Okay. All right, so here we go. Let me go back here. So here, all right, here we go. So you see step four, understand what the command is. So what is the command? The command is to restore and rebuild. When is the command? 457. Everybody got that? Step number five, understand what unto Messiah the Prince means. And we just did that. What that means is Jesus is showing up on the scene and he's anointed. He is the Messiah. The Messiah is anointed. He's the anointed one. He's on the scene. Okay. That's step number five. 
understand what unto Messiah the Prince means. Unto Messiah the Prince means he's going to show up and he's going to be anointed and his work is going, his public ministry is now going to begin. Okay. Let's go to step number six. I'm going to go to nine o'clock. <coughs> I mean, I'm not nine o'clock, eight o'clock. <laughs> you guys are like nine o'clock. <laughs> I have nine more minutes. That's what I was meaning to say. Nine more minutes. Okay. So step number five. Understand what unto Messiah the Prince means. We did that. Let's go to step number six. <coughs> Understand what cut off means. Okay. So now we're going to verse 25. Daniel 9, verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 26. Daniel 9, verse 26. Verse 26 says, and after three score and two weeks, it didn't say at the end of it, because if you say at the end of it, then you're saying at the end of it will be 27 AD. It didn't say that. It said, and after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Now, what does it mean that he's going to be cut off? Simple, brothers and sisters. The idea that he's going to be cut off means that he's going to die, right? Somebody answered that. Let me see what you said. Let me see what that answer was. What was the answer? I mean, where is it at? All right. That's right. The cross. So cut off. He's going to be cut off. And then it says, but not for himself. What does that mean? Not for himself. That simply means that he's dying. For our sins. And for a moment, let's go to Isaiah 53. I, I, I want to read. I, read I, I like reading this every day. Isaiah 53, we should read every day. You should not skip a day. You should read it every day. You should read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 every day. Don't skip a day. Those, those two chapters, you want to keep them like fresh in your mind. Let's, I want to read to you. Let's read, let's read Isaiah 53. Pay attention to what it says. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should behold, desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for, what's it say? Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. You see that? He didn't die for himself. He's cut off, but he's not cut off for himself. 
When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He's crying that out because the sins of the world are so darkening and so deadly. The Bible says that Jesus became sin for us. Not just for good people. He became sin for me. He became it for me. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But he came sin for me. Not because I've done anything to make him love me. No, let me let me let me make this plain. Let me let me look you in the eye. We did not do anything to make him love us. He loves us because that's what he is. That's what he's about. And when I find myself hating self-loathing, I don't know if you've ever ever self-loathed. Like you did, you just don't like yourself. You just you don't like the hypocrisy. You don't like what every everything about you. You just like I wish I was taller. I wish I was a little. You know, I wish I was a baller. I wish I had more money. I wish I had a, you know this children. I wish I was married to this person. Self-loathing. I wish I wasn't in this. Stop doing that. The value that you have is powerful. The value that you have is amazing. The value that you have is demonstrated by the love of Jesus on you on the cross. Plain and simple. That's where your value lies. He died for you. He loves you. Can it be explained? Not really. After all the dirt we done did, Still loves us. That love is transformative. As you abide in his presence, he does something inside of you. He creates in you what you don't naturally have of yourself. You become new creatures. So he's cut off, but not for himself. Not for himself. He takes on the sins of the world. That's step number seven. What does it mean, but not for himself? He becomes the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That's what it means. That's what it means. And the quicker we accept that, brothers and sisters, the quicker we accept that love, life-changing love, is the quicker we get to go home. I hope you're hearing me. I really believe the gospel. I am. I, I really believe the gospel I, I am i am i am so done with humans human theories and human dictums and human philosophy i'm done with that i want jesus all of jesus all of him i want all of him i pray that that's your desire too you want all of him all of him not some of him not some of him all of him so that's what it means. Understand what is, but not for himself. He became sin for us, for us. Last part here, maybe step number eight. Nope, we're not going to do step eight. So we have three more. We have four more steps to go. We have step eight, step nine, step ten, and step eleven. These next steps, brothers and sisters, actually take us beyond the time prophecies. Which again, few have understood. Like we just can't, we're casually reading our Bibles. We think we understand what the text is saying and we have misapplied. 
we have or just neglected this the next step steps eight step nine step 10 and step 11 take us beyond this 490 day prophecy it takes us beyond the 2300 day prophecy it takes us all the way down to our day so we need to pay attention to these things now there was a, a statement and i want to make sure i i want to make sure when you found it so someone looked it up which was very good somebody was a berean and they looked up uh tiberius caesar and his his reign and they came up with the year 14 at sister priscilla very good now i'm going to challenge you to go back and do a little bit more research remember i suggested to you that there was a time of co-ruling and so you want to do a little bit more research and you'll find something unique there that will bring that time uh, not a little bit before that. All right. So look up that co-ruling component and that might uh, that will add a little bit more intrigue to your research. My brothers and sisters, we have been delving and we've been looking and we've been examining and we're watching. And the the powerful the powerful part about this, brother, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus literally can, can you imagine this? And I'm so excited right now. I don't even know why I'm getting so excited, but. We just spent time in fellowship with the Most High through his word. Like we literally, angels were with us as we were dialoguing and going through and looking at the text. And if we had any understanding, it's because the Holy Ghost did that, right? To know that heaven is so interested in this fellowship is amazing to me. I get so excited. Because I know for sure, many, many times I've been studying the Bible and, and communion with God, and God has just spoken to my mind. And I know that he's going to do that for you guys. I know that he, as you go back and you just dedicate time to, to know God, to, to understand his word, not treat it like, well, that's just prophecy. I don't need to understand that. Prophecy is a revelation of God himself. It's a revelation of the person of God. It's like, it's like me and my wife, right? I know my wife loves Latino food, loves it. I mean, she loves it. I wish I could make it better. You know what I'm saying? She loves the kuna, you know, like she loves, she loves uh, pico. She likes the pico and she, she's very, she likes cilantro a lot. My wife likes cilantro. Like these are unique things that I know that you know now that you didn't know, but I know them. They are small things to others. They're big things to her. And to me, God puts these things in the scripture and he's, he puts them there and folks are like, well, I don't need to study that. That's for the theologian to get. That's for the pastor to get. That's for these big time. No, brothers and sisters, the layman is the return of the layman, brothers and sisters. I am a lay person. It's the return of the layman who are saying, I want my Bible I want my 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 I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If somebody calls upon me to speak a word in season and out of season, I should be ready to speak that word. I'm not say preacher, you can speak it. You can encourage others, but that takes time with Jesus. That takes time to be in his word. And I'm going to encourage you, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for joining us in our study. Thank you so much for those of you who have been supporting us. With donations, I mean, it's been very helpful. I mean, I, now we're going to be able to, you know, start this network, and I can't wait to do it. I mean, we're in the process of putting together something that is going to be twenty four seven. So anytime somebody wants to study their Bible, 
anytime somebody wants to 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 hear a, a, a sermon that is solid in the word of God, anytime they want it, they'll be able to have access to it. And I'm just I'm so looking forward to that. And I'm so prayerful that God does something for each of us and has this revival in our spirits so that we will protest sin in all its forms and that we will be a help literally in our communities, that we will take care of the homeless and the fatherless and we will deliver the oppressed and let the oppressed go free. For he that is free in Jesus Christ is free indeed. God bless you. You have a wonderful evening. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. And uh, have a blessed night. God bless. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. I don't want to just get off without praying. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to study the word of God. We're not worthy, Lord. Your word is so good. And the thing about this, Father, is just true. And there's so much falseness and false narratives and false ideas and so much confusion and stress that's in this world that we can come to the Bible and it's true. We can trust it. I pray, Father, that the resolve of your saints grows stronger and stronger so that the things of this world no longer distracts and that each one of us will be faithful until the end. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs>